Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, this is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, I have the privilege of having an old friend, Ian Altman, joining me today. He's an author. He's the co-author of Same Side Selling, and he is the founder of the Same Side Selling Academy. Ian, welcome to the program. Umar, I'm so glad that the 17 other people weren't available and that, and that you called me next. <laughs> it was. You know, uh, the 18th was my mother-in-law, and you know, I didn't want to go there, so thank you for answering. <laughs> Great to be here. What's really interesting is sometimes I kind of envision, you know, it's 300 BC. There's merchants selling whatever they're selling. And there's a guy selling camels. And he sells a camel, you know, like once a week. And there's a show off just down the path a bit. He's selling like three camels a day. And if you were going to go into this selling the olive oil business, you'd kind of go, who will I learn from? Camel guy A who's struggling or the B guy? Of course, they would have seen that this guy's got something happening. So there must have been sales training a long time ago. Maybe it was informal, but the human condition hasn't changed. Is somebody offering something, understanding the buyer? Kind of your thoughts on that ridiculous premise that I just put up. Well, it's it's interesting because people will often say when they read Same Side Selling or they, or they attend one of my talks, oh, that's such a new concept. And... And I'm forced to say, look, I don't think anything new has been developed in the last 6,000 years in the world of yep. sales, and I'm certainly not going to change that. Um, I, I think that fundamentally, the people who are the most successful never come across as someone who's selling something. Now, over the last X thousands of years, what's happened is that instead of someone originally saying, oh, this is a problem that you have or a gap that you have, let me help solve that. Instead, people started being taught these disingenuous approaches to yeah. selling people stuff they didn't need. And so if anything, we have to fix the stuff that we've introduced as humans to break things instead of genuinely being in service of others. Brilliant. So one of the areas I wanted to dig down deep in our call today, which is like, you know, the most boring thing in the world, but the most frightening thing in the world is how to land appointments. Umar. You know, once people actually talk to me, I can sell, but it's getting them to, they just don't understand it or it's hard to get a hold of them. So let's say Ian Altman loses everything. He loses his memory about everything except selling and he ends up in some city and he's uh, can rent a hotel room for a day. So he's got a phone, there's Ian Altman, and he's got his smartphone to uh, do what he needs to do. Let's talk about prospecting and let's break it down into the steps and let's discuss each step. And I think that seems fundamental, but uh, it's the thing that people shy away from the most. Absolutely, they do. And and there are a few things. One has to do with the fear of rejection, which you were a master of helping people overcome those sorts of mindset challenges and self-limiting beliefs. The, the, biggest, the biggest concept that I think people need to understand is something I refer to as disarming. And the idea, disarming. Behind, dis, and the, the idea behind disarming is this, is that if you walked into a store and the hyper-ambitious salesperson walked up to you and said, may I help you, what's your no, knee-jerk reaction? Looking. I'm just yeah, looking. No, no, no thanks, just looking. And why do we do that? We do that because we believe that person is looking out for their own interest ahead of ours. 
And so when I ask people, well, why do you say no thanks just looking? Well, I, I don't want to be pushed into something. I don't want somebody trying to convince me of something. So one of the things that we have to think about is when we prospect early on in the process, disarming the notion that you're just there to sell something. In fact, what I often say is that effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting the truth as quickly as possible. Namely, Absolutely. does this person have a challenge that we're better at solving than somebody else? And if so, we have something to talk about. And here's another important fact that most people overlook. Is that challenge that they're facing something that they feel is important enough to solve? Absolutely. So I'm going to take a step back just for a moment. I know you've been a very successful Vistage speaker, and every single person in that freaking room is a CEO that has a company that has a sales department, and they were probably freaking doing it for a long time. And it's like, don't sell to us. You are selling. And it's like, just that the reason I mention it is this. I'll never be invited back to Vistage, by the way, after this. <laughs> is that it's the same thing, right? It's like they sell for a living, and it's like we don't want to be sold to. So when you show up, you can show up in one of two ways. You can either be seen as somebody who's there to sell something, or you can be seen as someone who's there to solve something. Yeah. And so my, my good friend, Mark Bowden, who is one of the foremost authorities on body language and nonverbal communication, guy's written, I think, four or five number one best-selling books on the topic, says that the human condition is such that when you first encounter somebody, you're looking for cues that tell you is this person a threat to me or are they a potential asset to me? And if we come across as a stereotypical salesperson, our brain tells us, ah, stereotypical salesperson, they're looking out for their own interest. They're a threat to me. If on the other hand, if you approach it with what we refer to in same side selling is the same side pitch. So the same side pitch, the idea is we entice, we disarm, and then we discover. So first we entice by sharing the types of problems we solve with mm -hmm. extraordinary or dramatic results. Then we disarm the notion that we're just there to sell something by acknowledging that not everyone's a good fit for us. And then we trigger a discovery phase to learn more about their situation to see if we can help. So if, for example, um, let, let's, say, let's say you've got somebody and they're a, they're a technology company and they're selling into law firms. If right. you ask them, what do you, what do you sell? They say, oh, well, we sell technology to law firms. No. What you sell is the, the inflexibility, the cumbersomeness, the unreliability that law firms are frustrated with that they want to overcome. So what right. they might say is instead of saying, oh, I'm an IT service provider to law firms, instead following the same side pitch, they would say, well, when law firms come to us, it's usually because they're either having trouble attracting new associates because their technology seems outdated, they look stupid with their customers because they can't find the latest documents, or they're losing billable hours because their systems don't work. For the right firms, they tell us we deliver amazing results, but not every firm is the right fit for how we approach that. I don't yet know that we can help you, but if those are things that are important to you, I'm happy to learn more to see if we might be able to help. And then if one of those issues is something that's important to them, their interest will be peaked. They'll want to learn more. And if not, they're probably not a good fit right now. Makes perfect sense. So let me backtrack there just a little bit. Because what you said is, you know, hey, if we're not a good fit, we're not going to do business together. Your best guess, that phrase probably, let's say it got used uh, a million times a day in the U.S. by salespeople. How many of them do you think really mean it? Um, I think a very small percentage of them. So the idea is that most of the times things are said where, where the, the salesperson believes their job is to convince other people 
Right. That they need to buy your stuff. And the reality is that one of the one of the empowerments I try to give people who are sales professionals is look, your job is just to see who you can help the most. And the other people you can't, your job is to direct them to people who can, because we've all had a situation where we sold somebody something they weren't the right fit, and that client becomes the bane of our existence. And True. you get sucked into client purgatory. And the flip side of that is sometimes, uh, you know, I consider myself a salesperson, but sometimes I'm an order taker where I'm just chatting with someone. I tell them what I do and they're like, sold. I need that because they've got a real issue, a real need. I didn't have to sell anything. They were like, just demanded the product right away. And if we do what you're suggesting, same site selling is we're figuring out, hey, is this an issue for you? If it is, we should talk. And it's like perfectly natural conversation. Yeah, I've, I've got clients today who I talked with for the first time six, seven years ago. And six or seven years ago, they said, oh, this is this issue we have, great. And my litmus test is you always have to be asking yourself, have they convinced me that their problem is worth solving? Mm -hmm. And is it a problem that I'm good at solving? And if the answer to either of those is no, you have nothing to pursue. But what happens is in a scarcity mindset, Mm -hmm. The person doing the selling says, well, I need the business. And, you know, they didn't really convince me they need this. And I don't necessarily know it's a good fit, but I'd really like the sale. So I'm going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then they say, well, I don't understand why this person isn't calling me back. I don't understand why they're not returning my emails. It's because you're chasing them. They feel like prey and they're thinking, yes. well, okay, I don't want to be stalked. I want to move on as opposed to, if you have a good conversation, doesn't go anywhere and the person doesn't get back to you, then you want to be able to rely on your notes and say, when we spoke, you mentioned this was important. Mm -hmm. It sounded like we may be able to help you. I want to make sure I hadn't dropped the ball. And then okay. let them either say, oh, you know what? This changed, that changed, whatever. But it's not trying to make the sale. It's, look, I was just trying to serve your needs. If you don't have this need anymore, that's totally okay. But you need to have enough confidence and enough abundance to be able to do that because otherwise your brain tells you, no, no, it is a good deal. It is a good deal. It is. Even if it's not, it's trying to, your brain's trying to convince yourself that, no, no, I'm going to get this sale instead of, oh, yeah. can I really help them? I was in this sales thing. Uh, I work with this team every uh, Thursday morning and the owner of the company said, oh, that's like, that smells like commission breath. It's where you desperately need it and the customers can smell it on you and they're not going anywhere near you. So I'm going to do something really... <laughs> We're going to do a higher wire act and Good. I get the easy part. You get the hard part. Cool. So I am uh, Ian Altman, penniless, just got a phone. You need to make things happen. I run a digital uh, services company. We do websites, uh, LinkedIn, that kind of stuff. We've got three salespeople. Uh, you just found me on some list and you call up and I'm the guy in charge, head of sales. I run the agency, but pretty much that's my thing. Yep. I probably got a problem and you're just calling and uh, just ring the phone. I'll pick up. And then what we're going to do is break it down. When you actually say something, then you can say, okay, this is why I said this. Or did you hear Umar said that? And let's kind of break yep. it down and we'll just make it up as we go. And I think sure. this could be we'll, really, we'll really useful. But you know what? This will be fun. All right. So, so ring, ring. Hello. Uh, Umar. Hi, it's Ian Altman. We don't, we don't know each other. Should we hang up? No, of course not. What a great line. I mean, who says that? No one. That's brilliant. So, so, and the reason why is because most people, when they hear that, will laugh. Yeah. Okay. So it's just, it's about disarming the notion that, you know, what's going on. It's, look, I, I help digital agencies like yours. They usually come to me with two or three problems 
if you're facing one of those, I might be able to help. And if not, I probably can't. Can you give me 15 seconds to share with you what those are? And then you can tell me whether or not it's worth continuing the conversation. All right. So let's stop right there. Yep. A brilliant again, uh, super non-threatening. It's saying, hey, a couple of problems we can solve. If you don't have any of those, I'm going to be out of your life. But but notice what I did. I didn't, t- for starters, I said, I, I said, well, when digital agencies contact us, it's usually because they're facing one of these two or three challenges. Right. Right. But I didn't say what they are. No, right? I want to know. I want right? to know and, what and they, so are. they have and, those things. Yeah. And, they, and, they, and they, they tell us we can really help them, but not everyone's a good fit. Can, can you give me 15 seconds? I can tell you what they are. And then you and I can determine whether or not there's anything worth talking about. So a couple of things, me from this side of the phone, A, I know you're lying. It's going to take more than 15 seconds, but I don't care because at this no, point- well, no, keep saying, mind, not necessarily because my- get, It's going to take a, a short amount of time. So I know that yeah. and I don't take it literally and I'm super intrigued. So totally brilliant. Your thoughts? And, and, keep, and keep in mind, I'm purposely saying, okay, what I have to say is going to take less than 15 seconds because I want to make sure that I stay within whatever parameter it is. If I think it's two minutes, then I would say to you, Look, within two minutes, you and I will know whether or not there's something worth taking a closer look at. Is that okay as long as I stick to that time? Because now what I'm doing is I'm telling you I'm respectful of that time frame. Whatever it happens to be, you just need to make sure that you stay within that time frame. Because if you start off lying, then in the back of the client's mind, they're like, well, you lied to begin with. Why would you, oh, yeah. why would you not continue? In my prior business, you know, I, I grew my prior businesses to values beyond a billion dollars. I used to get cold calls all the time from people who would break through our gauntlet to want right. to get to me. And invariably it'd be someone, people would, would occasionally do things like, Oh, my buddy is from college and this and that he'll know who it is. And they'd come through and I'd say, well, they, they, you know, Tina said you were a buddy of mine from college. Oh yeah. I just want to get through to you. And I would always say the same thing. I'd say, well, so if you lied to get through to me, what makes you think I would ever trust you enough to do business with you? Well, because I have something really great to share with you. I said, I don't care. I don't care if you're giving away money. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Just don't call us again. Because to me, it's like, once you violate that integrity, I'm done. Now, not everyone operates that way. For me, that was a deal killer. Brilliant. And so I say, Ian, tell me what those problems are. What do you fix? So the, the top three things are one is people say, we've got amazing services, but our message falls on deaf ears. The second is, even though we operate at a higher level, People compare us to commodities and they expect us to match their price. And the third one is that our people pursue deals ad nauseum that end up going nowhere and we don't know why. D- does one of those stick out for you? Actually, two of those sticks out for me. Really? Which ones? Basically, we're seen as a commodity. We don't know how to stand out. Mm. It's just also endless phone calls and we'd never close deal and it's driving us crazy. Now, which, which one of those do you think is a bigger issue? Deals that never close. Deals that, that never close. Don't tell it. us to go away, and we just keep on going at it, and it just stops us from doing more. Uh, getting new leads in is just killing us. Got it. Got it. So, Umar, my question is this: That's certainly an area we help other people. You weren't expecting my call. I'm guessing you weren't sitting around eating bonbons. Is now a good time for us to continue this conversation, or should you and I reschedule a time where we can spend twenty to thirty minutes to see whether or not I can even help? And All the, right. So- and keep in mind, the reason I do that is because. If I just keep going right now, all of a sudden the person goes, well, yeah, I was interested, but now I get this other deal. And now I'm I'm the cause of them Mm -hmm. meeting their deadline. Yep. Right. So the thing is that the person who's genuinely interested goes, no, no, I'll blow off the other thing. It's okay. 
I don't, I don't care. This is totally cool because now I can, I can focus on this, but the other, we want to get permission all along the way. The other thing you did was, uh, in a very genuine way, empathize with me. I feel your pain. Like this is a real thing. And, uh, which I think is also important in building trust. We're talking about keeping your word. And when you do that, it's like, okay, Ian gets me and I want to spend some time with Ian because he does. I got that problem. He gets me. And then I say, no, no, Ian, I've got 20 minutes now. Okay. So now, so now if you do that, I would say, so you mentioned it's these deals going on. You also mentioned the idea of, of being a commodity. How often do you find those things are linked together where it ends up being you're commoditized and the deals drag on? Well, now that I think about it, probably at least half the time. Okay, cool. And can you, can you think of one or two opportunities recently where that happened? I could. So also just stop right there for a moment. Yeah. By asking that question, you gave me an insight. In stuff that is right in front of me, I'm not seeing. So being a good salesperson, and the answer could have been no, they're not linked, which is still okay. Yeah. But you gave me an insight, which kind of goes adds value to me. So which is also huge. Yeah. So so the idea is then then I go there, and now what I want to do is so there's something in same side selling we talk about, which is the same side quadrants, and it's a method for taking notes in a meeting. And the idea is this, that if you imagine a blank sheet of paper, you draw a vertical line down the center, a horizontal line across the center, creating four quadrants. Yes. In the, in the upper left quadrant, you take notes about the issue mm-hmm. that the client raised, meaning what piqued their interest. So in your case, it would be commoditization deals going on for a long time. In the right. upper right quadrant, we take notes about what I refer to as impact and importance. So impact is what happens if you don't solve that. And importance is how important is this compared to other things on your plate? And, and, and in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, so now I'm, now I'm taking these questions from issue to impact, and then I'll describe the other two quadrants as we go through the conversation. Right. Fair enough? Brilliant. Okay. So, so you mentioned you had these. So can you think of one or two opportunities recently where this happened? Yeah. It was a deal with uh, McCormick Spice. Okay. They're really huge in our market. If we get them, A, it's going to be good money for us, but we'll good reputation. Listen, and I don't, I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but if you lost the deal, um, how big of a deal was it? So we haven't lost it yet, but we haven't gotten it. It could be a $100,000 deal. Okay, $100,000 deal. And compared, and compared to the rest of your business, how, how big of a deal is that? Three times bigger than our normal deal. Ah, Ah, okay. And that's just one small division. If we do a good job there, it opens up massive opportunities. Got it. Got it. And, and let me ask you, compared to the other things on your plate, because I'm sure you got a lot going on, how important is it to address this type of issue with these deals today? It's huge. On a scale of 1 to 10, a 10. Okay, 10. Now, a lot of times people will rate everything a 10, but com- right. is there what, what other things are higher priority than this is? So All keep right, in mind, what I'm, what, what I'm trying to find right out. That's like freaking genius, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me so why you said is, that. So, so if I asked people, so zero to 10, how important is this? They might say, oh, it's a 10. And I might say, okay, well, um, yeah, the dog needs to get walked today. How important is that? Oh, that's a 10. Um, and uh, you, need to, you need to file some stuff in the file cabinet. Oh, that's a 10. Everything's a 10. Right? right. So now nothing's a 10. But if instead, if I say to you, so compared to other things on your plate, how important is this? And what's a higher priority than this? Then I get a sense of relative importance compared to other things. And the nice thing about it, A, that's genius. Uh, One, it lets you know. But I suspect probably 80% of the time, it lets me know. Yeah. Because everything's at a a thing. And you, once again, give me insight into my world. And it's like, do I hire the person that's giving me insights? 
or do I hire a person selling me? Yep. Exactly. So there's that. So now, now we've talked about, okay, so you got this McCormick deal is hundred thousand dollars. You mentioned you had a couple other deals. Um, how, how are those compared to size with that McCormick deal? They're smaller, probably like fifty, sixty thousand dollars deals. 60, and and how many how many of those opportunities do you think you have a year where you look back and say, man, I know there's something we weren't doing right that was costing us those deals. Ten, probably ten. Okay. Yeah. So if there's ten of them on average, I mean, how much how much revenue do you think that impacts each year? Half a million. Okay. The reason I ask that question is not because I'm incapable of multiplying 10 times 50,000. It's yeah. because I want you as the client to say it. So you hear it in your own voice that you say, mm-hmm. wow, this is costing me a half million dollars a year. So now if I came in with a strategy that was going to cost them $50,000, $100,000 to solve this half million dollar problem, this doesn't seem like that much. Right. But if I don't get that context in my own mind, I'm thinking, Oh, how much can I charge for this? I don't think I can charge more than X. Oh, you know, they'll never pay more than Y, right? Because my right. own self-talk plays into it because I haven't heard it from the client in terms of what the impact is. So now I've got the impact and the relative importance. So now what I would say is, well, and, and this is this is exactly the types of solution, the types of challenges that other digital agencies come to us to address. And we've had really good success with them. But what I know is that each organization measures success a little bit differently. What would you and I measure together, let's say six months down the road, to know that whatever we did was successful? Well, we would measure two things probably. One would be uh, revenue, how much okay. more revenue, and how much more quicker, how quicker we got those deals Okay, from opening call to actually landing the deal. Because right now it's extending really, really large. Got it. And And right now of the deals that you pursue – What's the system you have for for identifying what's qualified and what isn't, what's real and what isn't? We don't have that. Okay. Because for a lot of organizations, what they tell me is, look, we pursue these opportunities and we identify, oh, this is a well-qualified lead, and then it dies. And they tell me that more than half the deals they pursued end up going nowhere, and they've wasted a lot of time on those. How common do you think that is? For us? Yeah. Fairly common, probably maybe a quarter of the deals just get stuck that way. Yep, got it, got it. Okay, um, so so you said you'd want to measure you'd want to measure revenue and then how quickly deals happen. So obviously, what we'd need to do is baseline that because I want to make sure we're being fair. Mm-hmm. What would what would prevent us? Let's let's say I gave you an approach that worked for everybody in the world, but what would make it so it might not work inside your organization? Mm, not sure. Let me, let me let me let me explain why I'm asking that question. So the reason I'm asking that question is, it's like, look. So here's an approach that I've done that I've applied successfully to other places. What would prevent it from working in your organization? Well, if our people didn't take it seriously, if they didn't follow through, if they didn't get the right training, if they didn't get follow on. So usually people will cite their own limitations, and now we're co-building a plan that says, here's the way we overcome that for your team, instead of, oh, our stuff's great, it works for everybody which candidly isn't the case because the people who don't do the work rarely get the results. Right. You know, it's not like we're giving them something in a bottle and we go, oh, just open this up and it'll it'll emanate throughout the, the building and everyone will be a master at this. No, no, it requires work. So, so, so now what I've done is I've gone through what's the lower left quadrant, which is results. So the lower left quadrant is where we, where we identify the results of what Current. we're going to measure together. Okay, so this is 
uh, the impact is uh, the results we're getting right now and the impact of not getting the results we want. And the one in the lower uh, row so, so is what we want to achieve. Well, yeah. So the idea is the upper left is the issue, which is the superficial, you know, what, what piqued their interest. The upper right is the impact and importance, meaning what's the impact of not mm -hmm. solving the problem and what's the relative importance. The lower left is the results quadrant, which is what does success look like? What are we going to measure together to know it's successful? And then what, and then what I would ask is I would say, so who else is most directly impacted in the organization by right. this, by this inability to, to differentiate yourselves and by the inability to accelerate these deals so they become revenue? Who, who else, who else cares about this the most? Uh, it'd be our CEO. Okay. All right. Which is often the case in a lot of organizations would be the CEO. Um, who, who else might have an opinion about what we measure for success? The CEO. Okay. Okay. And what's the, what would be the best way, Umar, for you and I to include them in a conversation in a way that's comfortable for you? I want to make sure we're not missing anything because the last thing I want is for you to engage my help if I can't deliver exactly what you need. So I want to make sure we'll all be on the same page before we do anything. Right. That makes perfect sense. Okay, so what what would be the best way for us to include them in a conversation in a way that's comfortable for you? Let's uh, grab a Zoom meeting next week. I'll uh, before we get off the call, I'll uh, take a look at calendars and let's set something up. All right, perfect. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a summary of my notes, and I, I usually will miss something because I was trying to take copious notes, but I might have missed something. Do me a favor. I'm going to send this to you if you wouldn't mind, and I'll get it to you in the next couple hours. Just send me back a note with any corrections or if everything looks okay, let me know that too, because I certainly don't want to go down the path with any, with any wrong information. Is that okay? That seems fair. All right. Perfect. And that's, that's how we would, uh, that's how we wrap that up. Okay. And so just uh, dear listener, if you're paying attention to this, Ian Altman has not told me what the frick he's going to do or how he's going to do it. It's all been about me and I've been happy to kind of engage in that. And you're not uh, revealing what you're going to do, how you're going to do till all the decision makers are on that call. Well, and it's, and more importantly, I don't know what you need yet. Yep. Right? So I don't Now the lower right quadrant is what we call others involved or others impacted. Right. And so oftentimes what happens is in a deal in the 11th hour, someone's name comes up. We've never heard of before and they derail the deal or someone says, Oh, who's the decision maker? And you'll never get an honest answer to that question. And as yep. somebody who's an expert in NLP, you will certainly uh, understand all the nuances of the question I asked, which is what's the best way for us to include them in a way that's comfortable for you? Yep, so elegantly yeah, put. Yeah. So I'm saying, what's the best way, meaning there's a way for us, you and I together, to include them. And then the important part in a way that's comfortable for you, because in order for you to say, no, I won't do that, you have to acknowledge that it makes you uncomfortable, which you're unlikely to do. So there's a whole bunch of psychology and language built into that phrase. I always tell people, you have to say things in your own words, except for that sentence that you just have to repeat enough. So it becomes your words. Brilliant. Ian, uh, uh, we've got the uh, 100th episode coming up and I get to choose which one it is. It's going to be this one because I think cool. this would add a ton of value to our listeners because this is where they struggle a lot. And uh, any last thoughts before we part company? Um, you know what? All this comes down to practice. So if if you if you take the approach to disarm, if you then work with other people to practice, and if you connect with people authentically, 
this isn't that difficult. It's just, it's getting enough practice that you're not thinking about this. I mean, you and I didn't rehearse this. You didn't say this is what we're going to do. I started on you. I wasn't even thinking about it till we were in the call and was like, hey, let's do this. So, but, but, I, but I've, but I've taught this thousands of times. And this is something that, you know, the people, the people in our, in the same side selling academy, they're practicing all the time. They're using the tools to practice and rehearse. And magically, those people put in a little bit of time and effort, get amazing results. And the people who don't wonder why the other people get results. It's just a simple Because they're lucky. That's why. Exactly. So I'll the story of my friend, uh, Jay Livingston. He plays uh, musical instruments, plays the guitar, and he's got this crappy guitar that he has. But his dad's not been using his guitar. It's like a fancy guitar. And he wants his dad's guitar. And so he goes to his dad, hey, dad, you know, can I have your guitar? You don't seem to be using it. And his dad goes, not right now, but I notice you've got a guitar. Uh, what I want you to do is go to the guitar store, buy the most expensive strings you can for it, and just practice it for like three months and notice how it improves the, the sound of the guitar when you practice every day doing it. And then I'll give you my guitar. So he says, okay. And he's going through the motions, and shockingly, his guitar sounds really, really good after three months. And then it occurs to him, is like, wait a minute, the guitar doesn't sound better. I sound better because I practice, and that sneakily got him to do it. So practice <clears throat> is critical uh, to do, because it's like, no, no, I know that, Ian. I've got this down pat, and it comes across wooden. And what you did was just elegant, effortless, and it seemed very conversational and... Uh, Thank you for being a master at this. I really appreciate you uh, being on the show today. Sure. Thanks so much, Umar. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 